Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, going up to verse 38. Let us hear the gospel. Glory Glory to thee, O Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Praise Christ for his glorious gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Please be seated. And stay with me here in Luke chapter 1, page 855 of your pew Bibles, if you need them. First off, let's pray that prayer we prayed. Lord, may the words of my heart and the meditations of our hearts, words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Tongue-tied already. (laughs) I want to poll the audience a, a, a question here. How many of you send Christmas cards? Vanishingly, there's a handful out there, okay. I have a world of respect for you guys who send Christmas cards. I I was reading one of our kids' uh, Christmas books to them. It's a board book, and it's like, oh, you know, and the kid makes mention of, oh, the the cards my mother writes, and she's writing them by hand behind them. I'm I'm like, who does this? This is, like, horrifying. Um, So I have a lot of respect for people who send Christmas cards. I just don't understand people who send Christmas cards, because, and I love receiving Christmas cards. Don't get me wrong. Because that's easy, and, and we hang them up, we hang them on our walls, or put them on the mantle, and that, that's nice. Uh, my parents had a tradition of going through all of the Christmas cards at the end of the season, and crowning the weirdest, ugliest Christmas card that they received. <laughs> Which was kind of mean, but it was a tradition, you know? And, and, and some years there were some doozies that, that showed up, you know? Uh, for a brief while, when we first got married, George and I did cards, kind of under compulsion, because I think her mother expected such things, and so we did this for a little while, but we gave up on the idea years ago. They took way too much work and preparation and, and planning ahead, which isn't exactly our forte, and those of you who know can say amen. Um, but we already kind of book ourselves tight for Christmas, it seems, and you know, I wrap presents until the wee hours on Christmas morning itself, so pleasant little cards updating you on our family status doesn't usually make the cut. There was a time, one year in our marriage, I remember we got this idea, George is going to do Easter cards instead. I remember that being a thing, and that bought us a little bit of time, a few months, but we quickly gave up on that too, for one simple reason, actually. 
we kind of came to the conclusion that no one cares. Uh, our family news isn't really that interesting. You know, no new babies were born this year. Everyone got a year older. We replaced the van, blah, blah, blah. Nobody cares, you know. Any additional information is available on Facebook. And if we're not Facebook friends, can you really say we're friends at all? I mean... <laughs> and yet, I acknowledge that Christmas cards are, are, are such a staple. And, and they can be a, a pleasant thing. And um, some people include the whole family update. And it's kind of like a report card you write of yourself, right? And others just send a simple card with a signature. And, and some of us will text people. We'll, we'll leave it at that. You know, people we haven't, you know, you haven't heard from them since last year, right? And so, uh, and, and other times we'll send greetings on social media. But all of us, whether we send cards or not, feel compelled to acknowledge the season in some way. And I think this is true even generally in the culture. We, we, we summarize it with the idea uh, that this generic slogan that you see in a lot of places, season's greetings, right? I, uh, I decided going shopping with the kids, we, we were, you know, I, I picked up some cards at the dollar store because you get a lot of great illustrations for sermons in dollar stores. And um, <laughs> this, this generic theme, they had a little category there that just said season's greetings, you know. And, and it's just a wonderful generic theme here. You, you can tell it's Christmas because it's a, a snowman on it. Season's greetings. Thinking of you with smiles and warmth and a wish for holiday joy. Oh, that's beautiful. Thinking of you and wishing you happiness during the holidays and throughout the new year. This is my favorite one. How bright are the joys at this beautiful time of year? How warm are the memories? May the holiday season bring you many happy moments that become favorite memories. These are so generic and bland that they could be about any holiday pretty much under the sun. You'd never know. If you were to drop these to somebody in a foreign country, who would know? Who would know what anything is about if you didn't see the snowman, right? The wordsmiths at Heartline, a Hallmark company, just warms the cockles of your heart. All right, they're awful. And, and, and you know, it's hard to take these things seriously, right? But, but this finds a market. Because somehow we feel this obligation to greet everybody we know and many other people we don't actually know at Christmas time. It's the only time of year to say hello to people that you would otherwise ignore. And, and Christmas cards and letters are kind of like the news no one asked for. But the original season's greetings, before there was a season to greet, came to a young girl in Galilee named Mary. And this announcement to Mary from Gabriel is completely unsolicited. It's like Christmas cards in a way. It's news nobody was asking for. He drops in out of the blue on a simple blue-collar girl in a region of no great importance. And the question is, what is she going to do with these greetings? Last week, we, we began at the very beginning, uh, a very good place to start. Luke introduced us to Zechariah the priest and his wife, Elizabeth. And we learned that by a miracle, God was going to grant them a child. He's going to give them a son. And Zechariah was doubtful, and yet his wife conceived. And when we left off, we left Elizabeth hiding away to enjoy the thrill of pregnancy. Not that pregnancy is particularly thrilling. Um, we've been through a few pregnancies in our household. Uh, and I suppose any of you mothers can confirm Maybe you fathers know it too. Dan's been through this recently enough, for sure. Uh, pregnancy is a mixed bag at best, is it not? 
In my recollection, the early months, that, that first trimester is particularly rough. It's when the psychological thrill of, oh, we're expecting is, is very high, but the morning sickness kind of rises to match that excitement, right? And, and then the final trimester is characterized by sheer weariness, and it gets old lugging a watermelon around or so I'm told. So the middle trimester really is what seemed, for Georgia anyway, to be sort of the sweet spot, I thought. Uh, it's far enough along that people can tell you're pregnant without asking awkward questions, but it's also not so far along that you're stir-crazy yet. You can still get around, the sickness goes away, and you just kind of feel better about things. Georgia always seems more radiant in those middle months. Uh, and that's where we left Elizabeth. Uh, she's entering her sixth month of pregnancy. Presumably she's re-entered society after her, her time away. She was hiding for five months. So she's enjoying this season. And even better, Zechariah has kept his mouth shut. So there's been no stupid comments or questions or anything like that. Zechariah has been muted by God himself. And, and it's better than that. And, and my wife pointed this out to me. She is my, my source of joy and my editorial sounding board in my life. So she pointed out a mistake I made repeatedly in my sermon last week. I kept saying that Zechariah was deaf. That's not what the passage says. It says he was mute unable to speak, but that doesn't mean he couldn't hear. That's an important distinction. It means that Elizabeth could still yell at him and send her to go get a midnight snack, and he will understand her without being able to respond to her. <laughs> so when she says, just be a deer and fetch the crackers, Zechariah, and while you're up, you might as well grab the cheese, he has no choice but to do it without grumbling and no smart remarks about her weight or anything like that. So it's a pretty good setup for Elizabeth. Now, while all that's happening, today we see that Gabriel remains busy and active. There's, there's stuff afoot. Uh, he, he had started this small uproar by, by appearing in Jerusalem to Zechariah at the temple, and by extension it created this stir in the hillside village in Judea, uh, where Elizabeth's pregnancy is certainly a, a big local news story. But today he has another seemingly obscure mission, uh, this time to Nazareth, up in Galilee. It's a good distance to the north, and, and it's another announcement to another family. And the news is similar, but the circumstances are kind of different. This is the very first season's greetings that we get. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, several things point out to this being kind of a very different setup than, than last week. In this case, Gabriel appears not in the temple, but presumably the home of this young girl. It also takes place in Nazareth, which is a town of, honestly, not a whole lot of great importance. There's not a lot of prophecies about this town. It's just not the kind of place you would expect to be on God's radar uh, and yet Gabriel shows up and announces greetings to this girl. And Gabriel didn't announce himself in this way to Zechariah, if you'll recall. Uh, he just kind of showed up and declared to Zechariah, like, you know, scared him first and then just kind of declared, hey, your prayers were answered. This greeting is a little more upfront, but it's also a little more ambiguous. It's almost as ambiguous as the season's greetings cards. I mean, I've always kind of hated that greeting because it seems so vague and it's almost worse than the generic standby of happy holidays. It's like code when you're too afraid to name the day in case a lawyer is listening. But Gabriel's greeting is similarly vague, and Mary stands at him wondering, like, okay, what the heck is that supposed to mean? What kind of greeting is it? She's so baffled, she apparently has nothing to say at first. Now, I think we can sympathize with Mary here. 
because not all angelic messages are created equal. Uh, I'm assuming that she realizes this is an angel right off the bat. You know, like I don't think Gabriel is trying to fool anybody on that account. He's not hiding his cards. But an angelic greeting can mean a lot of things, especially when you read the Old Testament. So, for example, some angels appeared to Lot to warn him that Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed. Okay, well, that's one kind of angelic greeting. Uh, another angel appeared to Gideon in Judges chapter 6 and told him to basically pick a fight with his father, right? Uh, another time an angel shows up and threatens Balaam while he's riding on his donkey, but Balaam can't see it, right? Uh, and sometimes angels show up to pronounce judgment, sometimes it's to warn people. So an angelic greeting can mean a lot of things, and not all of them are always all that good, right? So Mary is perhaps, you know, it's, it's fair for her to be a little apprehensive, the only indication she has that this news is good is that he calls her favored. Uh, favor is a scriptural term that is used almost interchangeably with grace. In fact, actually, it is interchangeable because the Hebrew word is one and the same, the, the Hebrew word hain. And, and many of you might recognize in verse 28, the beginning of a Catholic prayer, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. That is how our Catholic brothers and sisters pray the rosary. Uh, we would rightly regard this as a grievous error in Catholic theology. We don't believe in praying to saints or to Mary, and for the record, I don't think Mary does either. Uh, my strong suspicion is that hearing somebody pray the rosary would probably make her cringe, and rightfully so. But if you put yourself in Mary's shoes, this greeting from Gabriel is almost as awkward as the rosary, because it's like, I mean, it essentially says as much. What is this guy saying? What is he implying? What kind of greeting is this? It's as confusing as a dollar store greeting card. And it's also fair to assume that Mary was not looking for this. You know, Zechariah was surprised by Gabriel's coming, and, and that's for sure, and that's fair enough. But he had been praying for a miracle, right? I don't think Mary was praying for this at all. She's confused because she wasn't looking for a miracle. This visit is completely unsolicited. So... Mary sits there dumbfounded, trying to figure out what this means. Luke says she was trying to discern the meaning, to, to read between the lines. And you can almost picture her going through all of the Old Testament stories of every angelic visit she can think of. And then you can picture her pouring over every prayer she's ever prayed, trying to think like in an effort to put together cause and effect. Like, why is the angel here? What does he want? Did I ask for something that I forgot I asked for? Like, what is going on? And she's drawing a blank. And Gabriel's greeting, in that sense, it's almost like getting a call from a telemarketer. Because every telemarketer that ever calls you, they will greet you very warmly. And they're eager to tell you how lucky you are. Boy, have I got good news for you today, you know. And if we're smart, we immediately hang up and say, what is this guy selling, you know. Mary doesn't have that luxury. There's an angel standing here. And I, and I think that's the only explanation for why Luke says Mary is troubled, the angel sounds like he's announcing good news, but Mary doesn't remember asking for any news, and no news is good news, and her life was going fairly smoothly up to that moment, and I'm not sure how this greeting's going to make this any better. So she stands there, racking her brain, trying to figure out what Gabriel means, but Gabriel is kind enough to elaborate. It says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, this all sounds really good, 
That's good stuff. You know, Gabriel promised Zechariah that his son would bring joy and gladness and would turn many people back to the Lord, but this promise is on a completely different level. He'll be called the Son of the Most High? That's a pretty unique distinction. He's going to inherit David's throne? Nobody's held that title for centuries, and his throne will be eternal. That's more than any Jew could hope for. This kid will be the hope of the nation. This promise that he just gave to Mary dwarfs the promise that he made to Zechariah. But there's a problem here, and Mary helpfully points this out in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? And at first blush, this could come across as something of a skeptical question from Mary, uh, and it kind of reminds you of Zechariah's question last week when he said, you know, how is this supposed to work? I'm old. But I think the tone is a little bit different. Uh, Zechariah was asking whether God could answer prayer. He was questioning the mechanics. And I think that's why Gabriel smacked him down and hit the mute button. Because uh, when Gabriel says, well, how will this be? Like, Gabriel's like, what do you mean, how will this be? Like, you don't know how this works, Zechariah? Like, you need the birds and the bees talk? Like, you're going to go home and, and you're going to conceive. Like, that's what's going to happen. And in that, you know, the miracle of Zechariah and Elizabeth is, is a natural miracle. And what I mean by that is in the sense that they went through the natural motions. John was conceived the natural way all babies are conceived. The miracle consists in that God overcame the age issue which has biblical precedence, right? Because if you read back into Genesis about Abraham and Sarah, they conceived when Abraham was like, what, like 100 and Sarah's, what, 90 or something like this, right? So, so of course God could do that. He's done it before. Mary's question is totally different. It's not a matter of whether she can hypothetically get pregnant. That's not in question. She's a young woman of marriageable age in the vigor of youth. Of course she can get pregnant. The mechanics are not the problem. Her question is a moral one. How can this be since I do not know a man, is the literal Greek rendering. She is asking how this can happen if she is to maintain her sexual integrity. She cannot naturally get pregnant without sinning here. Not naturally. And in Mary's defense, she has no Old Testament example to look to in this case. There are several Old Testament examples of angels who do show up and announce births. That happened with Samuel and with Samson and with Isaac. And, you know, they all got announcements, but there was never a birth that wasn't preceded by sex. So Gabriel's announcement seems to have a big fat hole in it, doesn't it? And, and it sounds kind of scandalous. Now, Mary has to know that God's not going to ask her to sin, so she's not really getting at that. She's trying to get at something else. Mary doesn't doubt God's ability. What she wants to know is, what is this going to cost me? She wants to be certain that this will not compromise her integrity, and she can't imagine what Gabriel is suggesting because she has no scriptural example. In my first 10 years of marriage, it seemed like we were pregnant more often than not. And um, Georgie used to say sarcastically after yet another positive test, like, how can this be? And uh, <laughs> as if there was a mystery. Mary's question, on the other hand, is much more sensible. She's not questioning God's power. She's asking what this will cost. And that is a legitimate question. Because Jesus himself would one day urge his followers to count the cost before jumping into things, right? 
Mary is a good Jewish girl. She doesn't mess around. Her wedding is far enough away. Joseph can't be the birth father. And look, a lot of wives will pray to get pregnant, and maybe Elizabeth was praying for a baby, but Mary was certainly not doing any such thing. She's in a very different situation. In fact, it would seem to be sinful to ask for a baby at this time. The thought would never cross her mind, because who wishes for an unplanned surprise pregnancy before your wedding? You don't do that. So Mary knows that something different is happening here. She doesn't want to do something that is going to hurt the people around her. And what she's really asking, again, is what is this going to cost? And how am I going to explain this to Joseph and to my parents and to my neighbors and my grandparents and my siblings and my community? How am I going to talk to my pastor about it? Like, there's a lot of questions here. And it doesn't take her long to figure out that this might be hard. God seems to be putting a big burden on Mary. So again, what kind of greeting is this? Well, Gabriel says this burden is evidence that Mary has found favor. Favor. Grace. The same language is found in the Old Testament. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So did Abraham and Moses and Gideon and Samuel and David. It means that God is looking out for you and that he has a plan for your life and that he's going to use you. But this is not a greeting Mary was looking for. This was news she never asked for, and with reason. So Gabriel takes a slightly gentler tone with Mary than he did with Zechariah in response to his question. It says, The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Well, that sure beats having your voice taken away from you. Um, but Gabriel responds to Mary's question with, first off, a description, and then a sign. First off, he, he basically tells her, look, you're not going to have to do anything. Uh, the Holy Spirit will do this. You don't have to lift a finger. You won't have to compromise your integrity. God himself will be the Father. And by saying that the child will be called holy, what Gabriel is saying is he's making clear that this will not be a scandal. Because if there were a scandal, the baby would have other names that I can't use in a sermon. Unkind, malicious names. But Gabriel says, no, he will be called holy. And then Gabriel gives her a sign by telling her the news about Elizabeth. They didn't have phones back then, so Mary hadn't heard about this up until now. And what she knows is that if Elizabeth is pregnant, then anything can happen, because she's very uh, mature. So, now Mary has a picture. But it's not a very full one. Uh, and she's not really being given an option here. God doesn't typically ask for your opinion or your consent. We like to think things would work that way, but it doesn't. So this is presented as something that Mary cannot avoid, and frankly, it sounds terrifying. And Gabriel's explanation left a lot of gaps, didn't it? You know, for instance, Mary still has no clear instructions on how to talk to Joseph about this or how to talk to her parents about this. You know, that might have been helpful advice to give. And, and another question that's left is what exactly does it mean to have the power of the Most High overshadow me? Like, is this going to be something I'm going to notice happen? Uh, how am I going to know 
and these are all questions scripture doesn't answer. My suspicion is that the first indication that anything had changed probably showed up in the form of sudden morning sickness. And Gabriel leaves these details all unclear. Mary is left with a lot of questions still floating out there. But when you consider that, it makes the next verse all the more remarkable, and it's probably the most remarkable line in this entire passage. It says, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Wow. I I would contend that this is one of the most amazing statements of faith you will find anywhere in Scripture. Mary may not be worth praying to, but she is a stunning example of faith in this scene. She gives us, actually, it's a preview of Jesus' words in Gethsemane, not my will but yours be done. And I want you to make no mistake about it, this is not Mary's will. How, How could it be? What girl would ask to be put in such a compromising position? She didn't ask for this. This is not the kind of announcement Mary was looking for. It's not an answer to Mary's prayers. It probably feels a little bit like a nightmare, and we can relate, because to hear many Americans talk, uh, an unplanned pregnancy is the greatest evil that could ever happen to a girl, or a potential birthing person, or whoever, depending on who you're talking to, right? And yet Gabriel says, Mary is favored by God. So Mary says, bring it on. She accepts this greeting, even if she doesn't fully understand it. She doesn't have all the answers, but she believes that God is good. And favor with him is better than anything else she could ask for. So this is the the key moment in our text. Mary welcomes Gabriel's message, contrary to all worldly wisdom. Now, If our purpose in Advent, as we said a little bit last week, is to talk about waiting well and anticipating biblically, uh, last week we, we saw that one of the important elements of waiting biblically is expecting God to do something when we pray, something that I think we all struggle with. It came a little late. George and I saw a great illustration of the principle on TV this week. We were watching Alfred Hitchcock the other night, and, uh, and it was an episode where, where Claude Rains plays a, a Catholic priest in a very poor parish, and the building's falling apart, and Rains hitting all the parishioners, and money is tight. And suddenly one guy starts showing up to the midday service, and he's given big money. And you come to find out he's a horse race gambler. And he's, he confesses to the priest at one point that his trick to picking winners is that one day he saw a sign in front of the church that said, Try prayer. So he did. And he tells the priest that's been his secret to picking winners for the last several months. He's been praying real hard. And the priest tells him that this is putting God in a bad spot because what if the other gamblers are praying that their horses win, right? And the gambler says, well, yeah, it would be tough. That is, if everybody prayed for a winner, only they don't, see? Everyone ain't wise to this prayer racket, Father. And uh, I take away from that, you know... Not a great example, but indeed, we do need to pray. That was the message to Zechariah last week. We need to get wise to this prayer racket. And we need to expect that God will do things when we ask him. But what are you supposed to do if God brings you an answer to a prayer you never prayed? What if he answers a question you weren't asking? What if he puts you in a tough spot? How many of us would be willing to be used by God, whatever the cost? How do we handle those kinds of greetings? 
Well, I think there are several things we can take away from this greeting to Mary. I would say, first off, not all good news is news you were looking for. Gabriel says Mary is favored and full of grace. How she felt about it doesn't really change that. It reminds you, actually, of, of what the angel said to Gideon in Judges 6. He, he comes up and he just declares him, Hey, you know, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And he says this while Gideon's hiding in a wine press like a weenie. And yet the angel calls him mighty and a man of valor. God has this way of declaring as a reality something that is not at all obvious to us, in, even when we're not asking for it. Mary is not asking for this, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't good news. The unexpected works of God are still good. Secondly, God sends people greetings because he chooses to use people, even to answer prayers. God loves using human agency. Consider this, that the announcement that he just gave to Mary, what we just read, is the beginning of God's greatest undertaking in history. He is announcing to Mary, through Gabriel, his intention to invade earth. This will literally change everything. It's going to alter the course of human history. The birth and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus the King is going to bring the prince of this world to his knees. In any number of ways... But he sends greetings to a young girl living in Nazareth, an ordinary girl in an ordinary town. There is nothing inherently remarkable about Mary. Scripture doesn't tell us how wonderful she was or why God chose her. He used her because he uses unremarkable vessels to accomplish remarkable things. That's what he does. He uses ordinary people to build his kingdom. He doesn't just grow the church by miracling people into the seats. That's not how any of you got here. He sends us out to invite our friends. He uses ordinary, everyday circumstances and relationships. God does his business in this world using the most mysterious, unlikely, and frankly inefficient method available and imaginable. That's you and me. He uses ordinary men and women to accomplish his works in the world because he likes people and he likes us enough to let his son become one of us. Thirdly, I would say that being used by God doesn't necessarily feel good. I don't want to overstate it. I know it's an argument from omission, but Luke gives no record of what it felt like for Mary to be overwhelmed by God's power. I suspect that there wasn't much to report. Like I said earlier, I would not be surprised if the first sign was nausea. But just because we don't feel like God is working doesn't mean that he isn't. We're not in this for the feels. Fourthly, not everything that happens is an answer to your prayers. But it could be the answer to someone else's. I, I said repeatedly that Mary wasn't looking for this, but on the other hand, God's people have been looking for redemption for thousands of years at this point. Ever since Eden, God's people have been wondering how to get back to God. And this event, this greeting from Gabriel, is the culmination of all the tears that have ever been shed since the creation of the world. This announcement is the answer to every prayer ever prayed because prayer wasn't even necessary in the Garden of Eden because God was walking right there. You could just walk up to him. Every prayer is a reflection of a distance between us and God since the fall. You know, Mary, in her racking her brain for every angelic appearance in the Old Testament and wondering what this greeting might have meant, may have come across the thought, you know, and amidst all of the angelic appearances in Scripture, do you know where the angels first appear? They appear in Genesis 3. 
right after the curse. It's the cherubim who show up on the scene with flaming swords to block the entrance to paradise. They are like the heavenly cops keeping us away from God. From the very beginning, angels have been the enforcers sent by God to warn us not to get too close because we're not holy enough. And yet here comes Gabriel announcing to Mary that it's okay. You can't come up to God, so he's coming down to you. Isn't that good news? Speaks a far better greeting than any Hallmark card. So perhaps the most important thing this greeting teaches us is this, that all news is good news if you have favor with God. Nothing Gabriel says after verse 28 could possibly be bad. Because God doesn't greet his enemies like this. If God is with you, what could go wrong? If Advent is not just about remembering Jesus' first coming, it is a reminder that we are looking forward to his second coming. And if you are a Christian, if you welcomed Christ's first coming, then his second coming is nothing to be afraid of. And you can have Mary's courage because you too are favored. You can welcome these tidings the same way you receive Christmas cards, even ugly ones. You receive them because the sender loves you. Because you are favored. Unbelievers have no real reason to greet the season but we who have received Christ and welcomed his first coming can. So let's accept the season's greetings like Mary did. Not like a dollar store greeting card, but as an announcement from God himself to his favored people that help is on the way. Jesus is coming. Let every heart prepare him room. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, We thank you for the message of Christmas, Lord. We thank you for the first coming of Christ, Lord, that we commemorate and celebrate in this season. But, Lord, we thank you also that he is coming again. The story's not over. And, Lord, we thank you that this holds no terror for those of us who are in Christ. Help us to receive him well to be open to your working, Lord, as Mary was. Help us to receive him. And help us to teach others to receive him well, especially in this season as people look forward, Lord, in in their massive confusion, Lord, not knowing what exactly we're even looking to. So many of our neighbors, help us shine that light. We thank you for Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever.